in which the judge, God the Father, declares you and I to be righteous. We're not righteous because we have the righteousness given to us in the gift of Christ. So that God can look at us and not see us in our sin, but instead forgive us of our sin and see us in Christ. So everything that happened on the cross, when Jesus died for your sin, he was dying in your place. That wrath should have been your wrath. That death should have been your death. And he died and actually literally wrote the check, paid the payment for your sin. But listen, that is not all that the gospel has accomplished. I think so often that's kind of what we grew up in church, like believe the gospel to be saved, but then what? Do we leave that message and go on to something else? Or do we go deeper into what Christ has accomplished? And so what we want to look at today is kind of another facet of that. So we talk about the gospel kind of a big picture, that the gospel will bear fruit in us, and the gospel will bear fruit around the world. It is what it does. But what exactly is that fruit that we talked about last week? How does the gospel change us? And so the gospel does not just save us from the past sin or from the penalty of sin, because the penalty of sin is death. And that is a beautiful reality that we want to keep going into as a church family. But there's more depths, there's more glories of Christ to be seen. So the gospel also saves us from present sin. Present sin. That you have the power, because of what Christ has done and is doing in us, to say yes to righteousness and yes to Jesus and no to sin. That you just didn't get your slate wiped clean way back then when you prayed a prayer and you came to faith in Christ, you repented of your sin. But like that same gospel has implications on the way you live life today. But I think so many of us in the church have resorted from, we were saved that way by grace through faith, but now it's up to us to figure it out. It's up to us to change. What we want to say is none of the gospel is the power of God today. Like tomorrow morning when you get up, the gospel has power for you to be free from the penalty and the, the power of sin in your life. That the change of sin that bind us hold no hold on us anymore because Christ has defeated that sin. So we say here all the time, the only sin that we can defeat is a defeated sin. And it's already been licked. It is finished. And we walk in that freedom. We walk in that victory every day. The gospel is what changes us. It's called sanctification. We are becoming who we already are in Christ. It's a pursuit that all of us, if we are in Christ, should be on today. That whole, what we were talking about earlier, following Jesus and taking next steps. It is next steps to become more like Jesus in every area of life. Now, let's not confuse it. It's not justification. It's finished. We are righteous. But now we are on a process to become who we already are in Him. That's what He's done. And then one day, we look ahead to the day that Christ will come again and save us from future sin, from the presence of sin, that no longer will sin ever uh, cloud our worship, that we have no more restraints at all. The fight will be over. Amen? Anybody with me on that? That's a good day when we don't have to struggle with sin anymore. I long for that day. That's why the scriptures end. Even so, come Lord Jesus, fix this. We're begging for him to come. But what do we do until that day? It's a struggle and it's a fight and there's growth that needs to be had in all of us. Not for God's love because he already loves us fully because of Christ. But if, if that is true, it ought to change everything about us. The old is gone and the new has come. We are new creations. And how do we live out this new creation, this new identity that we have in God? What does that look like? 
How does that happen? So that's what I think Paul is getting at. He sent out this gospel. The gospel is everything, and it's bearing fruit in you, and it's bearing fruit in the whole world. And then he keeps going. He just continues to gush out of him. And he's going to show us kind of what does this gospel do to, to release us from sin's power in the present day, right now, to tap in to the power source that is Jesus and what he has done. So we just read it uh, together. Uh, but let's read the first part of verse 9. And we're going to walk through this, take bite-sized chunks uh, as we go, and, and we'll be finished here in a few hours, okay? Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We'll stop right there. Oh, no, man, we're never going to get finished if you stop in that soon. Okay. He says, and so. So that the and so is what we just looked at, right? What we just talked about, that the gospel is producing fruit in you. That you have now faith in Christ. That's one of the fruit. That you have love for all the saints. That it's changing the way you live life in the church. And that you have hope of eternity. This, this gospel is producing this fruit in you. And so now, and because of that, from the day we heard of this, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now so many times I think we talk about praying for people. We always want to find the people who are desperate in need of prayer. And we think that the people who are desperate in need of prayer are those who are really struggling, whose life is kind of having a catastrophe and life falling apart. But Paul is praying, I'm not saying he wouldn't pray for those people, but he's praying for the people. He just said, you are thriving spiritually. You are growing. And so he says, I have not stopped praying for you because of that. It's almost a little, a paradigm shift a little bit. Like he's not just going after the people that are really, really struggling. He sees a need for intercessory prayer. And because there's fruit and because there's growth, it doesn't mean I'm going to kind of slow down on my praying for you. I'm going to increase in my praying for you. And so, listen, that's why we did a five-week series on prayer that wasn't even nearly enough of what it means for us to be a praying people. So let me just ask. We did that in January, so I know I'm kind of getting in our grill a little bit, but I hope I'm doing it out of love and grace because I see this in my own life too. We spent five weeks, and one of those weeks we talked about praying for one another. Let me just ask, like, how is that looking in your life today? Like, have you grown over the last couple months in that discipline, in that gift of interceding for one another to pray for one another? It's powerful. It's powerful. And you say, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of do. Like when I think of the church, like I pray. I'm talking like really disciplined, grabbing a hold of God through prayer. Say, I'm not letting go until you bless. Because I'm trusting, I'm claiming your promises. And I'm interceding on behalf of my friends and my family here at this church. Even people that may be my enemy. Even people that I don't love. Even the people that rub me the wrong way that may be sitting in this room right now. Don't, look, don't point fingers, okay? But are you praying for them? Because that's what Paul says. You see it again that he said, without ceasing, I'm praying for you that this would continue in you. And so that's one of the biggest, yes, responsibilities that we have. But what we talked about in January, it is a privilege that we have to pray for one another and to pray for those who don't know Christ. So what's a good model to pray for? And what we're going to see in the next few verses, man, just a beautiful. We get to get an inside kind of look into the Apostle Paul's prayer for this church at Colossae. So we want to unpack this together. And so he's praying this for the church at Colossae, but I think the Holy Spirit and Paul would be praying that for us if you were here. And this is something that we want to claim and pray the truths of God's word uh, for one another together. So let's continue reading verse 9, the, the last part of that. Here's what he asks. He's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So we're going to unpack 
that beautiful phrase for a little bit. So if you're taking notes or if you're on the app and you're looking at all my other notes, you can look those up, you're going to really freak out. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this phrase. And i got like five other points here at the end, but we we'll, may not even get to all of those. I want to unpack what does this mean? He says, fill with the knowledge of his will, because if you kind of do the, the breakdown of this text, everything else that he asked for flows out of this idea. So being filled with the knowledge of his will, everything else that's going to come is built on the foundation of our filling, being filled with the knowledge of his will. So we've got to understand what that is, if any of these other beautiful realities are going to be true. So here's kind of a, a, a main big idea, if you will, that I'm going to unpack here for a second with us. I think the words will be up on the screen. Following Jesus always involves more than knowledge. It always does. Always involves more than knowledge. But, this is a very important but, it is never less than knowledge. Following Jesus always involves more than knowledge, but it is never less than knowledge. Knowledge is foundational, but it's vital. (laughs) Foundations are really important, right? It's very important. And so I'm going to have two statements that kind of unpack what I just said. Knowledge is essential and knowledge is not enough. You say, that sounds contradictory, and it's not. First, knowledge is essential. Here's what I mean by this. Um, If we're not careful, knowledge is essential. If we're not careful, we can begin to see knowing more facts as the enemy. Um, I'll call him out. Uh, We were at our family meeting at the Gray Campus affirming our uh, potential kids pastor. and Will Morris sitting back here. He's part of our faith family here. and He's part of our cohort, too, at Southern Seminary. And he said a statement that kind of cued me a little bit because I knew this is what I was going to be preaching uh, this week. And he said, you know, sometimes we say in the church that knowledge is bad. Knowledge is a good thing. And one of the things that I'm gaining in seminaries, I'm getting more knowledge. (laughs) And so I think so many times, especially in uh, kind of a millennial generation, we've almost oversteered. We've seen people that are just interested in knowledge and understanding facts and figures and theology and having all the spreadsheets and all the books and the And it seems boring to us. And maybe we've looked at the lives of the people who are really committed to knowledge. And we've looked at that and said, because it's not really changed them, because they put an overemphasis on knowing, that we've kind of oversteered to the other side and got stuck in the other ditch and said, knowledge is not important. It doesn't really matter. Like studying theology and going deep in God's word, like that isn't, that's not really for me. I'm all about showing compassion. I'm all about living it out. And I'm all about grace, and I don't really care as much about truth. And I'm all about experiencing God and not just knowing and studying facts about Him. Because I've heard this statement before, you can't put God in a box, so why study theology? And I've heard a lot of that, uh, even in us. Like, But listen, what he's saying here is knowledge is, is, is crucial. He's prayed, he could have prayed, I pray that they are filled with, and it could have been a lot of different things. Right? He could have said a lot of things that he's praying for them to be fulfilled with, but he says, I'm praying that you be filled with knowledge. And I think that kind of rubs us and gets in our face a little bit. Like, is that a prayer you pray for yourself that often? I'm praying for myself and I'm praying for our church that we be filled with knowledge. And I think because we aren't praying that, many of us, most of us, it's because we don't really believe it. Uh, and I think we almost could look at that. But you've got to do something with the greatest commandment that Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, right? With, he says other things, with all your heart, with all your soul. You remember? Love the Lord your God with all your what? Your mind. Love God with all your mind. 
Now, some of us, depending on how you lean, some of you are going, man, amen, he, keep, keep digging in that ditch, brother. You're preaching good. But some of us, most of us in this room, because I know our, our church here, is saying, oh, yeah, love the Lord God with all our heart. Yeah, we want to be passionate. Love God with all our soul. Man, we want it to be deep. But that whole love the Lord my God with all my mind, do you realize one of the biggest things, one of the biggest acts of worship that we can do in our lives? You know what it is? Thinking. You say, I don't know. That doesn't seem very spiritual. Like it really is thinking deeply. Like you've got to do something with all the commands of Scripture to remember or dwell or meditate. To do that, you've got to know certain things. And not just, oh yeah, if I'm in like a Bible trivia, you know, VBS class or something, I might be able to recite some stuff. No, it's a, it's a, it's a knowledge that says, I'm going to just grab a hold. And we've used the illustration before, and y'all will laugh again. Read your Bible like a cow. Anybody remember that one? It's lived in infamy since I've said it. Uh, the idea is, if you weren't here for that, you go, what in the world? Uh, meditation is this idea of regurgitating. Just like cows will eat and then puke and then chew on it and then swallow it and puke and swallow, you know, that's what they do all day. So we read the Bible like a cow. We consume the word. It'll change your life. It'll, <laughs> you consume the word, but then we don't just say, hey, I had a quiet time today, check, and we go on. Like, really? Like, God is not up there going, I, I'm checking on you to make sure you're doing all these Christian duties. No, no, no. You get in the word, and you don't just move on. You go deeper into it all day. You bring it back up, and you're chewing on it, and you're, un, you're trying to think and dwell on, are these things true? And if they are true, what are the implications for my life? And I'm telling you, if you will do that, like really, really do it. Worship will go deep. And I, I'm telling you, we, we talk about it all the time. I'll, I'll use my illustrations again because I guess I can do that. I'm up here. I can tell the same illustrations until I get better ones, I guess. Um, when you are dating somebody, if you're wanting to know all of the facts, it doesn't seem to be um, a pain to get all the information that you can about that person because that information is linked to the character of that person. If we say we're worshiping God, we love God, we love Him with our mind. So for those of us who have grown up in church, I'm camping here more than I should, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, grown up in church, let, let, let me just ask you, do you, can you give a really thought-out answer of why you believe what you believe? Like, really? Or is it just because you grew up in church Somebody like me said some things about the Bible, and that's what you've grown up to be true, and you believe it's true, it's been foundational for you, but you've never questioned anything. You've never really said, like, is it true? Like, is it actually true? And if it is, like, how does it change my life? And, and is it not just the faith of my parents, or what the church tells me once a week, or is this really convictional for me? Like, what are you building your life on? And for many of us, I think it is the Word of God, but do you know the Word? I'm so surprised by so many Christians, uh, and myself included, for so many years. This was true for me until godly men, uh, some of which are in this room right now, pushed me to, to know the Word. Because I said, hey, I believe the Bible. I'm going into ministry. And they'd ask me questions like, well, who is Jesus? And I'd give some answer. Like, no, no, no. Where's it in the Bible? And I'd go, uh. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know. Like, I knew some things. But it wasn't, it wasn't everything for me. Like, do you, do you know why you believe this? Because I think that's why it doesn't compel us to go and love our neighbors well and to share the gospel. Because I don't know that we're really convinced that it's everything. Like, we've, we're Christians because we're not Hindu or atheist. You know, we come to church here, we believe, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. Do you know the Bible? 
Like, I would challenge you, like, if you're here and you're kind of investigating Christianity, like, read the Bible. Start with the Gospel according to John. You can look at the life of Jesus and, and see, is this true? Like, is it true? And if it is true, it changes everything. Knowledge is not the enemy, guys. It's not. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And so, a couple of scriptures, I'll just read them. I won't comment. I will fight the earth, not comment, because I've got to move on. But the words will be up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1, 4-5, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ that in every way you are enriched in Jesus in all speech and what? All knowledge. Philippians 1, 9-11, the words will be on the screen. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all what? Knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's just two. I picked it, you know, there's tons more where they're praying, I want you to have knowledge. But then, we'll, we'll, you know, kind of go back to the other side, say knowledge is still not enough. Knowledge is still not enough. Because what Paul is praying here, he says to be filled with knowledge. That word filled is really an interesting word. Let me geek out with you for a second, okay? This word filled with knowledge literally has the idea of being controlled by knowledge. Like you can, you can actually replace to be filled and just say, I'm praying without ceasing that you may be controlled by knowledge. And the word and the verse would mean the same thing. That's what it would mean, filled. So it's to the point where if I had this bottle up here and I fill it up with water to the point where nothing else can get in it. I'm asking, Paul says, that you would be so filled with knowledge that nothing else has room in your life to get in there. No other false knowledge, no other false lie, like filled with knowledge. To the point that it is controlling. It's the same word uh, that is used when Paul says uh, to the church at Galatia, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. He even compares it to being drunk with wine. That you should be, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That our filling of the Spirit should control us. should motivate us. It should change every aspect of our lives. So what Paul is saying is that you should be so filled with knowledge that it's controlling the way you live. Now, for it to control you, you've got to know. You've got to have the facts. You've got to pursue. and You've got to understand who is God. What does the Word say? But you can't just stop there. Because then it just becomes an academic exercise. And that's never what it was meant to be. But when we know, he's saying, I want you to go even deeper. Take what you know. Take the pursuit. Take the study. And that knowledge should drive you. It should control every part of who you are. So, let me ask some questions. Are you, right now, committed to knowledge? You say, would that be true of your life? Let me ask, for those of who are married, would your spouse say that about you? Because that's probably a real answer right there. Like, would your spouse say that you're committed? Would your roommate say that you're committed to knowledge? Would your people that know you best say, when I think of that person, I think of somebody who's committed to knowledge. Like, is that true? Because Paul's praying, I'm praying that you be filled with knowledge. And so then, maybe in a more convicting question is what are you doing with what you know? Because for so many of us, it's, I mean, yeah, we always got to go more. We never master this. So if we ever get to the place where we think, you know what? I don't have to understand it anymore. I got it all licked. The answer is no, we don't. <laughs> you, don't you never have understood everything here. So we always need to know more. But a lot of us, we know a lot about what the Bible says. You grew up in it. But is that knowledge changing your life? So I think if we went around here and we said, hey, do you believe the word of God is from the mouth of God? We would say, yeah. 
Then I'd ask, how's your quiet time this week? Are you in it? I'd say, hey, do we believe in, in a place called hell where someone will go if they have yet to put faith and trust in Christ? Do we believe in that? Many of us in this room would say, yes, I believe that that's true. Those who die apart from faith in Christ have a Christless eternity under the wrath of God. Do we believe that the only way that those people are going to have faith in Christ is if they hear the gospel and believe it? We'd say yes. Well, then I ask, how many of us have shared the gospel this week? And it, and it sits differently on me. I, I say, hey, do I believe that the, God calls us to bear one another's burdens? And I say yes. And so I look at my life and say, how does that look? Am I entering in into, into community with you people right here? Like, are we living life together in that way? We believe it. And so I think so many times there's tension in Scripture that kind of gets in our grill a little bit and says, is this true? And if it's not, I think Paul would say the logic of 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection is not true and truth isn't true. Let's walk away. He says, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if it is true, it ought to change everything. And you, We've got to get down to that level of belief. It's not enough just to know that knowing must fill us. And so as my papa used to say, I beat that dead horse enough, so I'm going to move on. I didn't even know that expression. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, but he says, filled with what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. That's what you're filled with. So what is the will of God? And so and now everybody's perking up going, oh, that's a question I've got. What is God's will for my life? Let's be honest. How many of you have asked that question at some point in your life? What is God's will for my life? Hands raised. Yeah. Like, what, God, what do you want for me? And we get so bogged down in who do I marry and what school do I go to or should I buy this house or that house or take that job or this job. We want all the specifics and we treat God like a magic eight ball and say, God, if you'll just tell me the next steps, I'll, I'll follow you, I'll, I'll go. And many of us stay frustrated. We go, God, are you hiding your will from me? I just want to trust you. Anybody said something like that? Like, I just want to trust you. Tell me what you want out of my life. And what we believe, all of our heart, listen, that God's will God's will is more like a path than it is a door. It's not like, remember the old game show, what was the show called with the three doors and the prize behind one of the doors? And what if I pick the wrong door? And I'm going to just mess up God's will for my life. We're saying, no, it's not like that. It's more like a path. It's a direction of life. It's a direction of life. That we get so obsessed with the specifics of what God wants, that we miss out on the 99.999% of what he has already spoken to us. So let's be honest. There are a lot of things that I don't know what God's will is for your life, but there is a lot that I do know of what God's will is for your life in my life. It's right here. Most of what God wants for us, is already, he's already told us. And so we get obsessed with the question marks when there are periods and exclamation points screaming at us in God's word. So the question is, maybe, just maybe, we'll never understand the will of God in all those particular things. Because God cares about those particulars. He's more concerned with our obedience to the things that he's already told us. God's will. So this is a, a, a hope will set us free. When you walk in his ways, his word, you will always be in his will. If you're walking according to the word of God in your life, and that's really the standard by which you're assessing decisions of your life. I really honestly believe that we can pick something, and it's, it's okay. I really believe that. We'll talk about that more in Colossians when we get later. Um, so I won't spend too much time more on here. But here's a statement that um, 
Again, it's kind of convicting, so sorry. I'm just the, I'm the, I'm the mailman, okay? Um, we will never comprehend the will of God apart from the Word of God. So you want to know the will of God for your life, but you'll never understand that if you don't know His Word. Again, this is not legalism. This is not, you've got to read your Bible, God doesn't love you. This is everything that we believe as Christians. So Romans chapter 12, we read this verse a lot around here. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Of your mind, the way you think. How do you do that? How do you have your mind renewed? It's by the word. That by testing, you may discern what is the what? Will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So he says, here's how I work in your life, God says. I don't just give you all the answers to the questions you ask. Instead, I'm interested in changing you. I'm not trying to change your circumstances. I'm not trying to give you answers from the sky. Wouldn't that be great if God would just send a carrier pigeon to us and tell us what he wants for us or an audible voice from heaven? But instead, he said, no, no, no. If you'll submit to my word, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change the way you see the world. I'm going to change the way you think. And then when you're changed in the way to that kind of person, then you are actually have the capacity to be able to discern what my will is. Because you know my thoughts. You know my heart. And then you're actually able to see what is good and what is acceptable, what's perfect. That's the way God works. Is he changes us so that then we have the capacity and the mind to be able to make decisions in ways that would glorify him and does glorify him. So how does knowledge of God's word change us that way? Well, back to Colossians 1, verse 9. He said, I'm praying that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's this idea. So I'm praying that you be so controlled by what you know. In, in a way that is wise, in a way that's understanding. So he goes a little deeper. Here's what wisdom means. The truth about God that we got to know, but lived out in everyday life. Wisdom is the skill of living. It's saying, I understand how God has wired the world to work. Because I know him. And I know his word. And I know his principles. And now I can navigate all of the gray areas of my life now with skill because I'm wise. Like, I know who God is. I know the way he's wired the world to work. And so now I know how to, to say yes or no to the things that aren't explicitly laid out in Scripture. Because I have wisdom now. Knowledge will give us wisdom. So it's knowing God and his ways and how to operate in sync with the way he's wired the world, what he's doing in the world. That's what wisdom is. And then he says understanding. And understanding is the ability to value or comprehend the importance of a thing. So not just knowing that you know how to live it out, but you know how important it is. To understand something means to know it for what it really is. To know the value of it. So, again, about God is not just to know things about him, but know how it impacts every area of life. That's wisdom. But then to say, and I know how important this is. This is not just an option. This is not boring. This is everything. This is, this is the most valuable thing in all of our lives, is to know God and to walk with him. You say, Derek, all right, but like I've tried, and the Bible's hard, it's confusing, I don't understand. And I, th- I think that's why Paul s- says the word that he did before wisdom. What, what is it? In all what? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because this is not natural. <laughs> to know true things about God and to have the wisdom to see how it affects life and to understand the value of it, that doesn't just happen in us. It's spiritual wisdom and knowledge. So, I think it would be a fair statement. I think Paul, if he were here on the stage, he would agree with what I'm about to say. Like, yep, that's what I meant in Colossians right there. To be filled with, the, with knowledge is to be filled with the Spirit. You can't separate the two. 
Because the Spirit takes the Word of God, and the Word of God has to have the Spirit of God. And those two things working together in our lives is what's going to change us to know the will of God and live it out. So I'm going to read a kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture, and it'll be up on the screen. So, so let's, let's read together in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's really, really important that, that we read this, because it's a foundational passage of Scripture of what we're talking about. He says, These things God has revealed in His Word to us through the Spirit. We have His Word, but it's through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. What a picture of what the Word is. The Word is the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You see that? Again, God's word says about itself, that it's the thoughts of God. Man. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That. Here's why God has given you his spirit in your life right now. That we might what? Are with me up here? That we might understand. Same thing he said in Colossians. We might have understanding the things that are freely given us by God. He says, listen, I've made my will known to you. I've revealed it. It's freely given. I've given you my spirit that you might actually comprehend it and know it. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. See, that's human wisdom against the spiritual wisdom we see in Colossians 1, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, for those of us who do not know Jesus, do not have the Spirit of God living in us, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we have to ask, maybe sometimes if none of this change is happening to us, we have to ask, do you have the Spirit? Do you really know Jesus? Because he's going to change us. And if we do, are we submitting to the Spirit and submitting to the Word? Because that's how we know his will. All right, so I got 10 minutes to do the rest of this passage. Y'all think I can do it? I don't either. Um, he unpacks. Here's, so that's what it means to be filled with the knowledge of his will, right? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And when that happens, these things will be true. So y'all ready to seatbelt and go? Because I got to get through this. Um, here's the first statement I think we see in Colossians. If we're filled with the spirit, with knowledge and the same thing would be spirit-filled. So I say a spirit-filled life with all of these. What I mean is, is a life that's filled with knowledge, enabled by the Spirit. You guys tracking with me? All right, here's the first one. A spirit-filled life is a life that puts the worth of God on display. When you begin to be filled with knowledge, when you're going to be filled with the Spirit, the, one of the implications of that is that you're going to live a life that puts how good He is on display. That's why He says in Colossians 1.10a, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. The word walk literally means the way you conduct yourself, your conduct and living. Everything about you is in a manner worthy of God. So some of you guys are sitting here right now going, whoa, 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 time out, Derek. Don't you every week when you're talking about the gospel tell us we're not worthy. <laughs> like there's nothing we can ever do to be worthy of the Lord. So what's he saying? Like there's a tension here. Is this not an impossible task? Like the gospel fundamentally is we do not deserve God. That's what grace means is we could never deserve it. So what's he mean? To walk in a manner worthy of God. And this is not the only place this happens, because I won't read these for the sake of time, but Ephesians 4, he says, walk worthy of your calling. Philippians 1, walk worthy of the gospel. 1 Thess 2, worthy of God. 2 Thessalonians, walk worthy of the kingdom. It's all over the place. Walk worthy. So what does that mean? How do we do this? 
And then Matthew chapter 10, there's one more tension before we try to figure this out together. Matthew 10, 37 is from the mouth of Jesus. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's some heavy words from Jesus. That's not very seeker sensitive, is it? Like Jesus is looking at the people and saying, listen, if you don't not love your family, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. So then the question is, what if they start doing that? Does that make them worthy? (laughs) What do I mean by this? Here's what this word means. It does not mean that somehow we earn Jesus. (laughs) We can never earn Jesus. But to walk worthy is to say that your life, hang with me, focus in, that your life is consistent with the worth of God. That if you are not willing to walk away from family, if you never do take up your cross, then you're not living a life that is consistent with my value and with my worth. Because God is infinitely valuable and infinitely worthy, and there's no price that's too big to pay, right? Every reward says, anything that I risk for following Jesus, the reward of getting Jesus is greater than whatever I gave up. And so the question has to ask, are you living your life in such a way right now that you can say, hey, the way I spend time in the Word, the way I see my involvement in this church, the way I live on mission in this city and my workplace— the way I see my resources, the way I see sexuality, the way I consume TV and media and all this stuff, is it consistent with what we say to be true about the worth of God? Is your life worthy of the Lord? Again, not to earn His acceptance, because we can never do that. But Our lives should be in such a way that people can look at our lives and say, man, in such a small picture, but I see the way He sacrificed, I see the way He endures suffering. And that shows me how much he values Jesus. I see how he treats his wife, and that shows me how much that person values Jesus. Like that's what's at stake. And that life will never happen if we're not filled with the knowledge of his will. Because if we don't know how beautiful he is, you'll never see how your life can live that out. Here's the second truth. Oh my goodness, i got to go. A spirit-filled life is a life that puts God's worth on display in every aspect of who we are. That's not repeating myself, because I added in every aspect of who we are. That's why verse 10b says, of Colossians 1, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the fact that we have to bear fruit more and increase is, implies that we're not doing it well. So listen, that says we're not there yet. And God knows that about you. So can I just say this to you because it's kind of been a heavy day? Like just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. Like God knows that we're jacked up sinners. And that doesn't mean he doesn't condone our sin. He doesn't condone our sin. He crushed Jesus for our sin. And sin's a big deal. But he knows that we're on a process. That's why he says, I want you to grow. I don't want you to stay where you are right now. So we've got to understand, I'm not where I'm going to be. So the pressure's kind of off. Like, he doesn't expect me to be perfect right in this moment. He's working on me. He's moving all things for this to happen. But it also is a, a spurring to say, if you are staying stagnant, and you don't see your life as moving and progressing, you're missing the point of what Christ is doing in you. The gospel will change us. To bear fruit means to become like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. I can't unpack all this. I've got a lot of notes here, but I'm going to skip them. But every area of life, every area I'm looking like Jesus, what fruit is, spiritual fruit, 
And then increasing in the knowledge of God is literally not just head knowledge, but it's that covenant knowledge of God. I know Him. I know Him. And so obedience and worship are always connected. The more we obey, the more we love. And the more we love, the more we obey. It's connected. Jesus says, if you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. They're connected. But then the third idea is a spirit-filled life is a life that lives every moment in dependence on God. So you say, Derek, you're saying, no more. <laughs> and then be more, produce fruit, and love more <laughs> in the knowledge of God. How in the world do I do that? Like, it sounds really, really hard. And that's why he says in verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. So, he says to be strengthened with power, which implies, listen, guys, I promise I'm I'm kind of closing. (laughs) Strength and power means that we're weak. This is who we are. He knows that about you. And then, to have endurance is to imply that we have fatigue in our life. Anybody feel fatigued? I do. Uh, and have patience, meaning that we're impatient people. We want it now. We don't want to wait. And then with joy, this implies that we're fearful and we're angry all the time. We don't have joy. So he's given us this admonition, but knowing where we are. So listen to this statement. One of the most God-glorifying things that any of us can say is, I need you. Like, it doesn't get much more God-exalting, exalting the worth of God, than to look at God and say, here, I'm honest about where I am, and I need you. I don't have what it takes. I'm weak, and I'm impatient, and I don't have joy, so I need you. God is not expecting you, and he's not expecting me to be enough. He's not expecting us to do that. Like, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows it's never going to be true. He is working to get us to know that he is enough. That's what God's doing. He wants you to get to a place where you see how weak you are. And he wants us to get to a place where he sees, where we understand that he is not limited by our weaknesses. All of our frailties, he's not limited by that. That's why 2 Corinthians, he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, I'm going to glory in what shows my weakness for the sake of Christ, because I want to put Christ on display. So I'm going to be honest about where I am. So when we do that, so now we can have endurance, which means, listen, patient, long-suffering. You suffer long in the midst of pain, in the midst of unhappiness. And then patience is the inward attitude necessary for that perseverance. So it's not just saying that I'm going to kind of stick it out, but I'm going to have an attitude as I'm sticking it out that glorifies God. In my doubts, in my questions, I'm not going to give up. I have endurance and I have patience. And then I have joy, which means I have a reason for this gladness. It's not fake. It's not flipping a switch. It's a deep joy because I see who God is. That's why James 1 will say, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is this fruit. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. And he says, all of this is by the power of his glorious might. He says, you have the ability to endure and have patience and have joy no matter what happens, not because you're strong, but according to the power of his glorious might. Everything that has power, all the power that God has, he says, you have. Because the Spirit is in you. You've been filled with knowledge. So you have power now. Listen, but if you're not filled with knowledge... That power isn't there. 
not there. You can't claim this if the first part's not true, if you're not filled with all knowledge. And then he says in verse 12 that giving thanks to the Father. Because when I really get to this point, no matter what happens, no matter what happens in my life, I can give thanks to God. Because if I'm filled with knowledge and I know God's word and the Spirit is making this alive in me, when trials come and when the bottom falls out and when we don't feel anything and when there's no power and our weakness seems bigger than God and when we really do believe that our inadequacies is bigger than what God can ever use in us and we get to kind of have those Debbie Downer kind of moments, then we have to look and say, no, I'm filled with knowledge. And how am I going to be able to endure? How am I going to have patience? How am I going to have joy? It's because I'm going to believe what's true. Because what's happening in my circumstances right now is not true. There's truth. So I don't trust God's character when trials happen because I know the word. I don't trust God. I, don't dis, I, I do trust God's character. Did I say I don't trust God's character? I did not mean that. Wipe that slate. I do trust God's character. I don't distrust him. I do trust his heart. I know that whatever he's allowing in my life right now is from a good God who loves me. When I know his word, I'm not doubting his purposes. Because if we're not in his word, we can begin to believe the lie of our culture that God exists for us and it's for our happiness. And then when things kind of go wrong, we go, God, where are you at? But instead we look and we submit to the word and we say, I'm filled with knowledge and I know God's purposes. And his purposes is to make me like Christ and for my worship to be deep. And that can happen no matter what because here's, I promise to you the last phrase. If knowing God and becoming like God is the primary aim of our life, then anything that causes that is a gift. It's a gift from His gracious hand. But being filled with knowledge lets me believe that that is true. Because His purposes, and I know that's His purposes because the Word tells me it's His purposes. Say, I doubt that He's doing this in me. No, no, no. He's making me like God, and He's causing me to love Him and that's the aim of my life. It's what an attorney's going to be about. Then anything that causes that to happen in my life. All the blessings, but listen, even the suffering, even the doubts, even the thorns in the flesh that would cause Paul to say, take it away. But even if you don't, my, your grace is sufficient for me. Anything that causes dependence on God and worship of God as he really is, is a gift. God, what are you doing? He says, I'm making you to be like me. God, what are you doing? I'm getting praise out of your life as you see that I'm worth everything. That is what happens as we submit to knowledge of his will. So let's bow together. Let's do this together. Let's submit to this reality together this morning. So as the team comes up to prepare us, uh, I really ask, don't be looking around. This is not, church is not over. We have a couple more songs to sing in response to this. Uh, This is um, probably one of the most important times of our gathering right here when we give space to really wrestle with um, what we've been talking about um, this morning. So let me just go through what we just said and and ask the question. So what does it look like? Are you committed to knowledge right now? How's the pursuit of God going in your life? And I don't say any of this to shame or to put rebuke, but say you're never going to know God and the joy and the fruit's never going to come if you don't know the word. It's everything. And we want to come alongside you to help you to understand the Word. So that's what life groups are about. That's why we have study groups. That's why I, I want to preach so faithfully every week to you. Because knowledge is important. It's important. So are you pursuing it? Are you pursuing God through pursuing His Word? So just right now, if you're not, say, God, give me the resolve to do this. 
to let me have the awkward conversation, no matter what, how awkward it is, to look at my pastor, to look at somebody in my life and say, you know what, no one ever taught me how to read and study the Bible. Will you do that? Will you teach me how to do this? Because I'm really bad at it. That's really a powerful thing to do. Maybe some of us say, you know what, I look at my life and I'm not bearing much fruit. And I want to bear more fruit. I want to increase in this intimacy with God. And So pray right now, God, would you continue to change me? I thank you that I'm not where I used to be, but Lord, I don't want to get stagnant. I want to keep growing. So right now, if you've gotten lazy in the fight of life change, would you just give that to God right now? Ask him to give you a restoration of that joy. Maybe you're here and you're trying to do all of this. Maybe you are pursuing and you are trying to know, but you're doing it in your own strength. You're not really leaning into the patience and the endurance and the joy and the thankfulness that can come when we submit to the Spirit's control in our lives. Maybe you need to tell the Holy Spirit right now, like, I trust you and I've released control because I'm really bad at controlling my life and I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I submit to you again. Will you fill me? Give me endurance. Let me have the staying power to keep doing what I know to be true. And how many of you right now, something's going on in your life that you're doubting God? You're doubting His goodness, you're doubting His character, you're doubting His purposes. How do you need to be filled with knowledge this morning to say, you know what, God, right now I'm really having trouble believing that you're good. I'm really struggling to believe your worth. And so I'm giving that to you. These are my trials, these are my cares, and they're tempted to not trust you. But Lord, I want to trust you. And maybe you're here and you listen to all this and none of that's true for you because you don't know Christ. And so what we would want to say to you is, listen, all of this stuff is only true for those of us who have repented of our sin and believed by faith what Christ has accomplished for us is a gift. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or if you're saying, I don't know if I know Jesus, maybe I've been religious my whole life, but I don't know Christ in the way you're talking about, um, please, after the service is over, come. Do not leave after the songs are over. Let's have a conversation about that. We won't pressure you to make a decision today if you're not ready for that. We want to walk along that journey of you understanding that Jesus is worth our repentance and worth our faith. He's everything. So for all of us, we're about to stand and we're going to sing this song. It's called Stronger. And it's a reality that these are all true of us. We have so much farther to go. But we're going to believe by faith that Jesus is stronger than any of our weaknesses, any of our inadequacies, that we're trusting that he can do this in us. So God, would you fill us with knowledge that you have defeated all of our enemies. So let's stand together, church, and in a way of response, in a way of worship from the word, let's sing this out together. He is stronger. <laughs>